1: We'll be chatting to a famous parent about how they're coping Or hopefully how they're not coping And we'll also be hearing from you, the listener With your tips, advice and, of course, tales of parenting woe Because, let's be honest, there are plenty of times
0: When none of us know what we're doing Hello, you're listening to Parenting Hell with Ted,
2: can you say Rob Beckett? No, Can you say Josh Widdicombe?
1: This is a two-year-old son. This is my two-year-old son, not (laughs) a two-year-old son, Ted. Not sure why he took offence to your names, but he enjoyed recording this so much that when he drifted off to sleep tonight, he was still repeating, not Whittington, not Whittington. Not Whittington. (laughs) That sounds like some kind of awful, repressed memory. (laughs) Thanks for being great company on the nursery run, Emily. Oh, thanks, Emily. I'd like to be clear, I've never met Ted. Not Whittington. Yeah. Should
0: we do some bloody correspondence? Well, we should actually. We've got a great guest, but let's let's. We've got loads of emails coming, so we should do them. I get so much email. I'm getting so many messages on. I think it's some Spotify Wrapped is start. You know when they sort of tell you what you've yeah. been listening to. That's sort of gearing up, and it's loads of people that have been yeah, listening. I never click on my Spotify Wrapped because I'm so worried about it. Why? It's going to be poor Patrol heavy this year. People had been sending me the, how many hours they've yeah. listened to the podcast. Someone's done thirty six thousand hours. Oh. So that can't be right. No,
1: it can't be. How would you do it? What, that many hours? I mean, fair play to them. I've listened to three hours of the Rock on Tours podcast, and I'm struggling. <laughs> and I love it. I'm just about to start the Noddy Holder one. What is going on in my life? <laughs> Hello, Rob and Josh. Oh, God. Go on. My mum died. This is, this is a, a one-show-style mood change. My mum died in 2015, two years before my son Tom was born, and I always talk about her, and although he never met her, he always knows about Granny Jules. Oh, that's nice. Didn't Granny Jules have a uh, hit with a cover of Mad World in Donnie Darko? I don't know that reference.
0: Bit of a stiff film for me, mate.
1: That was Gary Jules. I've watched Jules 3. (laughs) (laughs) Something for everyone, isn't there? When he was about two, I left him with his daddy, and off I went to visit a palm reader. I didn't mention anything to anyone except my husband as to where I was going. When they were driving somewhere together, in the back of the car, Tom suddenly said, Mummy is speaking to Granny Jules right now. My husband was so shocked and asked what he meant. They're having a chat and she's with her now, is what he said. Mm. I was in the palm reading appointment and my mum came up low's. I love that my son sent something and often tells me she's in the lounge with us or something. Oh. I'm still waiting for her to grant me wishes like she promised, but it's a strong start. <laughs> Lily from Norwich. I don't know whether I want to be haunted by someone, even if I love them. Thoughts? Yes. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, palm reading
0: as well. Maybe you can get more information in Norwich. Obviously, they've, they've all got six fingers, so the palm's bigger. Oh,
1: here we go. Good, Lovely. good stuff. Thank you. Come on. Good stuff from the Come man on. from Kent. Ba-ba-ba-ba. What's wrong with Kent? Ken's not inbred. No, no, I was just saying, like, you you're, you know, being snotty about the, the backwaters like Norwich or uh, Devon. Oh, right. Fair enough. Norwich is actually a really good city. Yeah. But he's got a bit of a bad press. Great gigs. Great gigs. Always one of the best tour gigs. Unbelievable. But I don't, I think
0: Alan Partridge is to blame. Yeah. Because, like, for our generation, it's like, what do you think of the pedestrianisation of Norwich? You yeah. like, he associate Alan Partridge with Norwich, but actually it's quite a cool, fun city. But yeah. you think of it as sort of like an old old bloke. Yeah, exactly. So maybe they
1: need to sort that out. Maybe they need to sort it out. A lot of people we know went to Union Norwich, Rob. Did they? Such a boring thing to say because they're not people. Oh that no, 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 keep going. No, 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 no keep going. I'm really into this. Go. On. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> My agent went to Union Norwich. <laughs> oh great, yeah, that's good to know. And she went to uni with Greg James. Oh what, for Radio One? Yeah. Oh, okay, fair enough. That's actually quite good. Now you're interested. And John Kearns was at uni with them? Oh, good comedian. John Kearns. he's got a kid as well, we should get him on. That's it. Oh, I'd love to get John Kearns on. Are we just doing admin now? No,
0: no, no, no. I've got some correspondence <laughs> as well to share. Go on. This is my friend Emma at uni used to, instead of blow-offs, you know, I said blow-offs and you reckon no one else says it. Yeah. She used to use fluffer pinky. You what? She used to fluffer pinky, but I don't know if that's a thing. Fluffer pinky?
1: Fluffer pinky? Yeah, that's what she used to say for farting. I don't know if I like that. Fluffer pinky? Surely it's a brownie, isn't it? What, your bum? Oh, God, the what? Yeah. I don't know. Sorry, Rob. Sorry. And do you know what? Sorry to Adrian Childs as well. He's all right. I'd say my bum hole's more
0: pink than brown. I don't I don't look a lot. I clean my ass, Josh. Yes, yeah, so do I. My arse, not your ass. <laughs> yeah, so it would be more, for us, as two white men,
1: it would be pinker than brown, surely. Okay, yeah. I can't get round there to look. My worry is, after Tuesday's episode, Yeah. people have gone, should we just skip to Adrian Childs' one? This is a bit coarse. And then this has happened five minutes in.
0: Right, I tell you what, look. You come round my house. You look at my bummer, and I look at your bummer, and then we'll report back, and then leave it there. Good idea. I'm so glad you're in Australia. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> right, here we go. This is a good one. Children hurting adults. We're talking about the kids when they hurt their parents. Yeah. Hi, Robin, and Josh. I think this is the most serious injury we've had. Hi, Rob and Josh. Listening to your episodes where you spoke about injuries received from children and brought back what I can only describe as PTSD. I'm sorry about this, Chris. He's saying this in jest, though. Don't panic. When my oldest son, now almost five or three, he was playing with his toy cars on the floor and wanted me to make him a tunnel. So I put my feet up on a footrest to create the required tunnel. This lasted about half an hour before he suddenly decided to climb on the sofa next to me and dive onto my legs, landing squirreys square on my left knee which resulted in him breaking my leg and destroying uh, my uh, knee oh no after multiple surgeries my knee was finally put back together but has now resulted me in developing osteoarthritis in the knee that is severe enough that i'll need to have my knee replaced by the time i'm 40 currently 37 oh chris oh my god oh christopher oh my god big fan of the podcast there's always a place for you on the last leg well, not if you're still there. Fully able, to a degree. <laughs> Bed-blocking. Bed-blocking with all your limbs. <laughs> um, <laughs> can I say something quickly, Josh, about Australia? Basically, they give us, the palms, the whinging palms, so much abuse about not being able to deal with the heat. Yeah. And since I've been here, it's been terrible weather. Not terrible, but like for them, it's terrible weather. Right? And it's been like 18, 20 degrees, okay? Yeah, still don't know what that means, but yeah. They cannot cope With any kind of cold The amount of puffer jackets I've seen in 20 degrees Are an absolute disgrace I'll take the kids down to the beach In 20 degrees in the UK Yeah of course And they've got like North Face jackets on In 20 degrees It's it's insane They just can't handle it Also I can tell you this about Australia I did a gig in Sydney The day that England beat Wales Yeah So that game was on at 6am and then I did a gig at eight PM that night. There were some people in that room that were absolutely shit faced. They'd been drinking they? since six AM oh and God. the show was great. The first half was excellent. Second half was really good. But as I was trying to get into my rhythm, they were just so pissed they kept on shouting out. But they weren't even making sense. But they'd just been on the booze all day from six AM. Oh fuck
1: that. Oh know. God. Is oh it? God, Rob. You know, all right You've travelled across the world to avoid those kind of people. And there you are again. (laughs) That flies around
0: shit. You can't escape your own, Josh. You can't shake your audience. You cannot shake who you are. Own it. Right, I've got a boomer story then we can do. Here we go. Boomer. Hey, Lush Pots. That's a nice intro. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Just a little tale about my husband's boomer-style parenting relayed to me by my stepchildren. On a ferry trip back from France, approaching customs, he did a passport check and was horrified to tell his middle child, aged eight, he'd lost her passport. The only solution was to pretend to be a doll. Horrified? but obligingly she sat rigidly
1: what a doll
0: yeah so she went he went to her just pretend you're a doll no. oh my god. she sat rigidly non blinking fucking Nora this is great propped up in the corner of the car being a doll whilst they rolled past the officials passport safely in the glove box yes he's a lunatic oh my god she now has a panic attack at passport control The problem is, it is quite funny watching someone pretend to be a doll, but not a child. That that You've got to look at the long-lasting consequences. This is not okay. Exactly. Maria, I hope you're (laughs) a doll. To come back to the last leg, it is not okay. No, it's not okay. That's our catchphrase, Rob. Is it? Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. It is not okay. I'm always watching it. I know
1: that. Unbelievable. (laughs) For God's sake. It's been on 12 years, mate, isn't it? Do you know when I went to Australia, I was told that Adam Hills was like the Graham Norton of Australia yeah you get there do you know who the Graham Norton of Australia is who Graham Norton they've got Graham Norton (laughs) (laughs) he's just on the telly (laughs) it's just it's the same bloke doing the same (laughs) show it's just in Australia Should we bring on Adrian Charles? Um,
0: yeah, let's bring on Adrian Charles. Very good interview. This good bloke. I could listen to him for ages. I love you know this. what? I had him down as sort of like old TV presenter, that does a bit of sport, but he's it's amazing. Like, and he just sort of seems like a bloke, doesn't he? But he's so charismatic and quite yeah. charming and really interesting. Like when he talks, you just
1: want to listen the whole time. I thought it was great. He's really thoughtful and like has really interesting angles on things. You're not going to expect from anyone. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, he's a really
0: good bloke. Really interesting. I'm a big- Big fan of Charles. Love Charles. Um, yeah. Right, well, here's Adrian Charles.
1: Enjoy. Hello, Adrian Charles. How are you?
2: All well, thank you.
1: Thank you for doing this. We're very excited to have you on. At the start, we like to
2: ask, how many kids have you got? What's your setup, kids-wise? My setup, kids-wise, is two daughters. Yeah. Age unbelievably twenty-two and nineteen. You know, to all that stuff people tell you about, oh, it goes quickly, my God, that's true. Is it? Yeah. When I first spotted it was when my daughter went to secondary school, my older one, and she went from sort of one day not being allowed to cross the road on her own yeah. to another day just having to get on a bus, a tube and a bus to get to school. <laughs> yeah. And at that moment she's gone, and about a month later, I was on the bus, you know, four or five in the afternoon, some girls got on, I thought, oh, that's Evie's uh, school uniform. And then, okay, hang on a minute, that is Evie. (laughs) And then, even worse, she hid her face and ran upstairs when she saw me. So for one minute, she can't wipe her own ass. The next minute, she's avoiding me on public transport. It's just incredible. And then, the game's gone from that minute. They're gone. You might as well wave goodbye. They're off. (laughs) <laughs> no, you you'll see them briefly when they drive past you when they have passed their driving test and that's probably the
1: last you'll oh god Are you strike me as well as an emotional man who i like, and say that i'd include myself and rob amongst this that would struggle with that would have loved the connection with the young children and mm. that is something i know that i dread is that a fair assumption
2: Oh, yeah. And the worst for me, actually, was when they went to university. We took the first one away to Bristol University Mm. and dropped her off. I cried so much that one of my contact lenses fell out. And I didn't have my glasses with me. So I was scrabbling around on the seat of my car looking for the missing contact lens. And I was just bored for about an hour. And then when the second one went, which was only just over a year ago, it was even worse. It's just... Oh, no. It's truly appalling. <laughs> How- <laughs> I've got real well, advice for when the kids do go to university, actually, if we can get on to that. We have yeah. made, what to Good. say to them and what not to say to them. But anyway, yeah. sorry, I'm, I'm interviewing myself. No, no,
1: I'd love to oh, hear no, that. That'd be perfect. What's
2: up with that? Well, just that before before we go to university, the one thing, not, not that university is compulsory or everyone should want to go and do it, but I think that the thing we always say is, oh, you'll have a brilliant time. Yeah. Oh, you'll have a brilliant time. Stupid thing to say, because we don't know. Yeah. You're going to have a brilliant time. I, to be fair, I don't know what you're saying instead. Yeah. But, you know, what you're about to do will not be easy. Yeah. And you might not necessarily have a brilliant time, because you might, you know, three weeks in, you think, "What? I'm not having a brilliant time. There must be something wrong with me. When, yeah. You know, never yeah. again in life will you be thrown in with a load of complete strangers and compulsively told to have fun, have a brilliant time. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, And everyone tells you it's the best part of your life as well. It's a lot of pressure, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's too much. It's too much. Did you have a brilliant time at uni, Adrian?
2: Well, you uh, didn't have a bad time. I found it difficult at first and then I did. I was doing the wrong degree, which, you know, which didn't help. I did English. I never quite, That's a lot I never quite got to grips with what I was supposed to be doing. You know, and also self-scheduling, I just needed more focus. I think I better off doing law or something. I was interested in it, but, you know, at least would have kept me out of trouble, you know, between sort of nine and five most days, as opposed to just six hours a week. But in the light of taking my second daughter off to university, we had a, just after that, I happened to have a bit of a reunion for people I went off to university with in 86, 87. And I was asking them about how were you, you know, what, what do you remember of that first year? I was genuinely astonished. They said, I'm oh, like my best mate. Who I thought I knew really well. He said, I mean, I didn't really feel settled until the end of the second year. I just found it sort of traumatic, really, until then. You know, everyone's yeah. sort of kind of put in a brave face on it. Mm. And I think what's, you know, what makes parenting, I think, probably harder now is, you know, the constant contact that you can have. With a mobile phone, when we went university, there was one phone call you have had. You know, once a week you'd probably call on Sunday on a payphone or something. Yeah. You know, and and that'd be it. And you had to sort yourself out in between. Now suddenly, if I can't get hold of my daughter at ten o'clock at night, you know, I'm thinking, oh, what's happened to her? Is she alright? <laughs> <Not laughs> you know, we're much better off being at home sort of bending your head in the sand, not being able to find out whether she's alright. I mean, this is let alone going off you know, traveling around the world. Oh, God, yeah. You know, in my day, you'd go off somewhere totally isolated, and that was good for the soul. It was good for the parents and good for the kids. Now, there's probably nowhere on earth where you can't get a bloody phone signal. <laughs> so you <laughs> ring them and they're not there. And you start panicking, and, you know, they'll, they're clinging to the side of a mountain in the Andes or something. You know, it's just... I'm, I'm traumatized by the whole thing. <laughs> <is> it, <man? laughs> Are they enjoying uni at the moment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But while one's left and the other one's, yeah, having a great time now. But, you know, it just struck me when I dropped the second one off, just looking around, looking at them and just seeing fear in the poor kids' eyes. Uh Yeah, Yeah, so I just think it's important to be mindful of. I've got so much parenting advice to be spent, so I'm willing just to keep talking for an hour.
1: That's fine, Adrian. Can I just ask one question about uni? Because I say this as someone who. at university, in my halls was Jack Straw's daughter, which was very exciting. How much yeah. cachet do you think, and how much do you think they're saying that their dad is Adrian Childs? I,
2: I think it'd be a badge of shame. <laughs> I mean, with blokes they met, probably more because there's a, like, a football connection. Mm, yeah. Actually, my younger one, yeah. I did the Strictly Christmas special, which went out on Christmas Day last year. So that yeah. was quite a big deal. I think she was very glad she was obviously at a home for Christmas Day when it went out and <laughs> yeah. wasn't dealing with it then. <laughs> Did you clear it with them? I didn't. The Christmas special came about very quickly. I had been asked to do it sort of properly a couple of times before, and they both went absolutely not. Absolutely on no circumstances. <laughs> <laughs> no way. So that was pretty much all out. Oh, no. Yeah, I mean, the, the, occasionally some lad will come up to him, pissed, and go, Oh, your, dad, your dad's a legend. a oh, uh, Bristol Rovers fan or something. And they resolve never never to speak to that young man again. <laughs>
0: be heading to sort of those weird wilderness years of kids where like they go off to uni and they the last thing they want to do is hang around with their parents and then they sort of reappear when they've got children or they start settling down and bringing boys home and stuff because that's what i was i sort of disappeared from the family as i went off started gigging and stuff like that and then you sort of come back is that what's sort of making you a bit emotional do you think
2: yeah I mean, that makes me jumpy because I sort of miss them. Yeah. But then, you know, God's got a way of dealing with that because what he also facilitates is a constant stream of requests for money. So the phone goes <laughs> right. now. I just go, how much and what for? And even if they try to dress it like, up, how you doing? I'm, yeah, I'm fine. How much and what for? <laughs> Occasionally, it's just for a chat. More often, it, it, it's not. But, you know, my mum, you know, my mum's 83. And, I mean, she says to this day she only sleeps properly if me and my brother are in under the same roof, you know, which hardly oh, wow. happens at all about one day a year. But to these oh, dads, yeah. feels like that. What a sleep, yeah. though. What, what a, a sleep. sleep yeah.
0: What a sleep to look forward to. If your daughters do ring and ask for money, though, do you go, well, you know, I can't really afford that at the moment, but if I did strictly... Yeah. Then there would be more money available for that trip to Thailand.
2: But well, I've tried that. If I say they want me to take them somewhere and say I can't, I'm working, then I kind of have that speech. Yeah. I think trouble is when they were in their early teens, I was extremely successful and earning a lot of money. And throughout their teens, I've progressively got less successful and earning <laughs> learning considerably less money. So, you know, I suppose <laughs> it's difficult for them to adjust to that, but they're going to have to adjust to it. <laughs> i
1: don't see you as a that almost came out as authority figure it seems unfair i don't see you as an iron fist no. i see you as wanting your children to yeah. like you the school of josh widdicombe <laughs> is that a fair summation Yeah,
2: i think it is i mean i quite seriously often wonder how much of it is just luck really i mean beyond teaching your kids the rudiments of good manners, you know, hello, goodbye, please, thank you, etc. So beyond that, I just think we kid ourselves that we can influence much at all. I, you know, I happen to have been lucky with my kids. Yeah. For example, you know, they worked reasonably hard at school, you know. But if they didn't, what am I going to do? Stand over them, lock <laughs> yeah. them in the room, you know, so like you're not going out, you know, not give them pocket money. I just. The attitude to parenting is find a bucket of sand, put your head in it, cross your fingers, and then just hope <laughs> for the best.
1: And it, I think that's a good tip. Did you always have that freedom with it? Or, or did you discover that over time?
2: Oh, I don't know. I just thought everything I tried to get them to be interested in, to do, you know, I sort of failed to do it. You know, it just never worked. Are they West Brom it's fans? <laughs> but yeah, but trying to get them to come to the football, I mean, they just... The Older one would never have it at all. The younger one came for a bit and then wouldn't come again. I mean, it was interesting, the younger one came for you know a good few matches, but then decided against it. And um a woman I, I sit with when she did bump into my daughter again, said why don't you come anymore? He said, I quite like being there. It was just the thought of being there which was so terrible. <laughs> And I realize it's the opposite with me. It's the being there at the game. I'm, I'm usually miserable, but you know, it's the thought of being there that excites me or rather the yeah. thought of not being there that appalls me. So it yeah. goes the opposite way around for them. But I think that the thing I valued most about them, again, I, I don't think this is down to me or their mother, is that they did, they really knew how to have a good time, but also, you know, worked hard, worked quite diligently. And this is something it's taken me years to realize, is that when my older one got, went for a GCSE results, I always remember, I, for some reason, I wasn't nervous going up to get them. It wasn't because I thought she was going to do well. And it wasn't because I wasn't concerned, if you see what I mean, that she was not yeah. going to do well, not got the results she deserved. And then while she'd gone inside to get her results, we were sitting outside in the car. A woman came past whose daughter was in the same class as my daughter, but her older brother had just got his A-levels. And this lad was a bit of a wrong and he'd been done for pot smoking or something. He'd done no homework at all or anything. And he'd got four A's at A-level, right? And I just thought, that's it now. That lad is going to have a problem because the lesson he's learned... In life is that he can wing it, he can not do much and succeed. If you're not careful, that's a very bad lesson because sooner yeah. or later, and I don't know about you, you like me, will have met a lot of very successful people in a lot of different fields: footballers, yeah. entertainment, politics, whatever. What everyone's got in common is that for long periods of time they have worked their asses off.
0: Yeah. Mm.
2: Yeah. You know, like whether you're Roy Keane or Tony Blair or Frank Skinner or whoever. Comedians also really worked hard at it. You know, all those small, just, you know, it's an absolute bloody grind, whatever you do. Now, if you haven't had experience of that grind and shown an aptitude for it, uh, you know, then you're going to struggle. So in retrospect, I think the reason I was quite relaxed about my daughters is that, She'd shown me the important thing already. Never mind the results. She'd shown me that she could work. She could get her head down and work. Now, if you've got that, you will succeed in something. Now, maybe it's not academia, maybe it's not anything I'd want to succeed in, but you would end up having some success. So if you can instill that into your kids somehow, then that is the biggest thing. So it's all this in the teacher at school. You say, oh, it's not your results. It's how much effort you put in. And we think, ah, oh, bollocks. <laughs> and we all probably yearn to be the kid. who did no work. Did all the shagging. Took the penalties for the school football team. <laughs> ended up head boy despite being a rascal. Yeah. Did no work. Got four A's at A level and went to Oxford.
0: It was actually a bit overrated, to be honest, Adrian. I found it <laughs> quite tiring. <all> right. <laughs> Sometimes I didn't have the energy to score the penalties. I've been shagging so much. You know what I mean? (laughs) Sorry. I'd like to say Josh was loving those 90s references of Tony Blair, Roy Keane uh, and Frank Skinner. Yeah. That was like peak for you, wasn't it, Josh? Oh, Adrian, preaching to the
1: choir there. <laughs> Absolutely my wheelhouse. Thank you very Adrian, much.
0: Adrian, obviously you're a massive grafter as well and you work really hard. You've written all these books and stuff. Like you said, when your daughters were like teenagers, you were like, you was all over the telly. It felt like you was on yeah. everything. You was on like sort of daytime TV, sports stuff, yeah, yeah. all over it. What was your schedule like then? Was it difficult to sort of see them as much because
2: of the workload? did you want to set an example? I think actually the, the beauty of live telly, and I did live telly sort of every day, mm. but, you know, more than 20 years, is that though you've got to be there to do the live telly, you sort of, to some extent, you go in, you do it, you sort of cock it up and then you go home again. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it, it takes a good deal less time than you know, making one documentary, which takes weeks or months to do, depending on what it is, involves being away from home the, the whole time yeah. and then you've just got an hour of television at the end of it.
1: Are you telling me you didn't do eight hours prep for each episode of The One Show, AJ? Um, Are you telling me you got through that without being across all of the topics
2: in detail? Sometimes I did, yes. So I must <laughs> confess that sometimes I was a bit <laughs> lackadaisical.
0: There's no way Ronan Keynes across all the detail, is there, surely, at the
2: moment? No, I mean, you could do too much for The One Show because in the end, you just... <laughs> yeah. Every interview was just sort of took three minutes and you had three questions and after a while i lost the art of conversation i couldn't speak to somebody in a pub for longer than three minutes so, you know question one yeah, question two, question three, right thank you off you go next person you know got... it was interesting going into doing sport on telly you know half time you know what do you think roy what do you think paul what do you think lee dixon and then into the ad break so actually when I went back into doing radio where you got 10 15 minutes interview I felt the blood flowing back into my <laughs> veins really because you know you you know you, you go into this business to ask people questions yeah. And so it was just nice to feel that again. Although when I was doing football, and half the stuff I've done since, actually, you know, my daughters have had absolutely no interest in whatsoever. <laughs> you know, when I was doing the one show, you know, they'd want to come in and meet One Direction or somebody or other. But uh, now, now I can't really sort of offer them access to anybody.
0: <laughs> what about Josh? Do they like Josh? Could you introduce them to Josh? Would that help?
2: Um, I don't know whether you're in their demographic. No. <laughs> I'd, I'd have to ask them. I'd have to ask
1: I, I won't take offence. I won't take offence. Be brutally honest. Do you what think they've heard of me, Josh?
2: Yes, I think they probably have. I couldn't tell you how, but I think they probably have.
1: Yeah. Okay, what about
2: what about Rob? Do you think they're fans of I Rob? I wouldn't go as far as fans. I think they probably <laughs> would be aware of your work and be admirers of it, I would have thought.
1: There we go. Do
2: we
0: take that, Rob? Yeah, I'll take that. I couldn't guarantee it. Can't, yeah, exactly. You can never guarantee it in this business. Okay, all right. Adrian, I want to ask what like... What is it you miss most about and being a bit younger? Then obviously now they're, they're women and they're out learning at uni and stuff like that. Is there moments you pine for when they were younger? And, and is it like rose tinted glasses or did you find it tough when they were little?
2: No, I wish I'd, I think the most difficult time is when they're sort of two or bit less when they've just started yeah. moving around yeah and they they've stopped having that morning snooze to give you a, a bit of respite but they're they're a danger to themselves because they got no brains but they're running around getting themselves into all sorts of trouble <laughs> then it's hard but yeah. you know i really wish i mean this is what i'll say to myself on my deathbed about my whole life you know i just wish i'd enjoyed it more yeah you know, a lot of life is about repetition you know doing Same thing over and over again, and and, and drawing some enjoyment from it and some meaning from it. I mean, even if you're doing the same kind of gigs, you know, a priest doing the, the same sermon, you know, Mick Jagger doing sympathy from the devil, you know, each time he does it, he does it like it's his first time or it's last, he gives it everything. Well, I'll say the same about raising small children. Yes, you know, changing nappies, and you know, you think you're out of the terrible twos, then all of a sudden you're back in them, and all of that. You know, I just wish I'd immerse myself in this instead of praying for every day to come to an end, you know, to really think, well, this won't last yeah.
1: forever.
2: <laughs> you know, oh. I'm getting on the go oh. at it. So.
1: It's so hard, though, when you're tired. You are like my ghost of Christmas future, Adrian. You're the ghost of Christmas future. I know that I'm going to be really? saying this to someone, these words in 20 <laughs> yeah. years time. But I can't stop myself looking at the clock and thinking an hour and 15 minutes until time.
2: Something came to me. I can't remember why I was... This came to me. I was on a train. I was filming something in Cornwall. And this Tweenies song came back to me. I mean, did your kids watch the Tweenies or was that that's before your time? No, we don't have the
1: Tweenies. Yeah, before i time. A bit more yeah. into bluey now.
2: Right, they have some great songs, the Tweenies. But there was one particular song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> under the sea. I remember it because it was one Evie, my older one, one year. One Christmas, she was sort of ill with something or other all over Christmas. And we just sit and watch the Tweenies hour upon hour. That Under <laughs> the Sea song came up all the time. I put this song on, but found it on Spotify on the tray. And it was just tears rolling down my cheeks. Oh, God, oh God this, is oh, this is me. This is me. I started texting Evie. I sent her a link to it. I said, I'm crying my eyes out here. She said, a thing. Well, what the fucking hell is the matter with you? <laughs> <laughs> it was just too much. And the oh, other one I remember because the joke was that you know she's the younger <laughs> one's all emotional and the the older ones like tough as old boots, which you know isn't quite there. But in the um, Wallace and Gromit film, the the wrong trousers, there's yeah. a bit where Gromit gets sent outside to the kennel. Yes, because yeah. Wallace has got a new friend. And so Gromit's in this kennel. I remember even being surprised that my daughter's about seven or eight or something. She was just watching it. And this big tear was rolling down her cheek. Aww. And I thought, even to this day, it just stops me in my tracks. You know, I thought, oh, oh God, no, no. <laughs> and then I texted her that the other day and she went, what the fuck now? Anyway, but she does remember being
1: upset by it. But, you know, it's just oh, those God. little moments. Oh, God. But I, in a way, do you love disappearing to those moments? Like, as it's kind of pleasure-pain thing, right? It's kind of sad but warm nostalgia. Yeah, look, if,
2: you know, it's a version of that, you know, grief is the price of love. and I mean, we're not talking yeah. about grief here, but, you know, if you haven't got that stuff to look back on, yeah, then something's wrong,
1: yeah. and you know, I do
2: genuinely regret not spending more time with them. I mean, not so much to do with work, but you know, I spent an awful lot of time following West Brom around the country. I we re- kind of regret that, do much as I had a great time. Uh, I wish I'd had spent more time with them, but you know, we still had plenty of great times. I suppose being divorced didn't help, they were eight and five when I got divorced, but you know, they were always just right around the corner coming yeah. and going as they pleased and stuff. So it was as pain-free as it could have been. Oh,
0: and so was it quite a sort of easy to sort of work out when you could have the kids and stuff like that? Because it can
2: be quite difficult, can't it? It was never easy, but it wasn't an issue. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I, I was always... But, you know, it doesn't stop you being racked with guilt about it. But, you know, we all get on very well. You know, me and you know, they, it, it's fine. But I remember there was a, the real moment when... I think Evie must have been about 12... And she was round my flat and a bloke came round who was a, a mate of mine who had daughters about the same age. Very nice, very kind of, friendly guy, rather posh. And he goes, oh, hello, Evie. He goes, um, how often do you come round here? And she looked at him and she went, well, whenever I want. You know, it just, <laughs> what kind of question is that? Yeah. And I just, <laughs> you know, some, some great weight lifted off my shoulders at that moment. Oh, yeah. She can come round whenever she wants. That's but nice. The other side of that coin is that she can knock on whenever she wants yeah. as well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you know, we all ended up in a good place. I mean, food and money is what they're interested in, we thought, mainly because I can always yeah. look for them. But, you know, we do have a good time. There was a talk at their school about raising teenage children, teenage daughters particularly, and mm. this woman, I mean, talked a fair amount of shite, but this psychologist, however, she's made a couple <laughs> of really good points, I one was, you know, forget everything else. Everything else is secondary to one thing, is that make sure they get enough sleep. I mean, I think that's for adults, particularly for, you know, children, yeah. young children, yeah. teenagers, whatever. The other thing she said, which was, she said, don't ever begrudge them the time that you're in the car with them. You know, a lot of parents go, like, oh, I'm the taxi service, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Like because increasingly, that's the only time you'll get them to yourself.
1: Yeah, that's a good And
2: point, I think yeah. that is really, really important. also, in terms of talking about trivial stuff or more important stuff, the massive advantage to being in a car with them is that you're not facing each other. Yeah. You're looking elsewhere. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it hasn't yeah. occurred to me until recently. It's like going out for a walk as well. You've got, not this to confrontational if you're looking at each other, but it's just somehow yeah, yeah. easy to communicate like that. And to this day, you know, I'll say to my older daughter, you know, who's well into her 20s now, I'd say, I said, she said, she'll go out for something to eat. So where are you going to go? And so we'll go, you know, we can go to a curry house round the corner for me in West London in Chiswick. And she said, no, no, let's, let's go to Kentish Town. And I said, well, why is it you like going to the place in Kentish Town? And she said, oh, it's just a good distance just being in the car together even if we don't talk and just yeah. listen to taylor swift Aww. loudly you know we're still in the car together she just loves being driven places by me you know we all have being in the car together it's just i don't know it's just a nice thing happy associations
1: oh that's nice you speak to people and you just get a lovely feel for how much they care about parenting do you know what i mean yeah. and i get that so much from you I want to talk to you about your book, uh, "The Good Drinker: How I Learned to Love Drinking Less." You gave me a copy when we were in the BBC, and we bumped into each other. Yeah, I've started reading it. I'm loving it, Adrian. I won't claim that I've read it to the end. I'll be honest with you. Everyone's got a book out at the moment, Adrian. no, no I'm on no, no, one no, a no, week. I'm on one a week, but and I've only said this to one other person. I'm going to finish this, Adrian. <laughs> I very rarely do, <laughs> but I find it absolutely fascinating. It's a quote from Rocky, in it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to give us the kind of
2: give us the elevator pitch of what this book is? I mean the narrative about drinking is that you're either something called an alcoholic which in the yeah. idea of clinicians doesn't actually exist as such the idea of alcoholism where you have one drink and you have to drink 200 and then you wake up in a skip or whatever. Mm. Yeah. You're either that or you're a perfectly normal moderate drinker. I just thought, you know, problematic where I was drinking every day I couldn't bear the thought of a social occasion without drinking, yet how could, you know, and it didn't look like what people would call an alcoholic or it didn't look like a problem excessive drinker. But the fact is, how could I not say I was dependent on alcohol in some form? And what I stumbled upon was the fact that a lot of drinkers are in that category like me, drinking far too much, but because they don't resemble the alcoholic inverted commas, of caricature, Mm. then they think they haven't got a problem. Well, in fact, if you're drinking up to 100 units a week, as I was regularly, then... So 100 units a week? Yeah, 100 units
1: a week, which is, you know, just... So just to kind of... There is a chapter about units, but just to give people a who aren't aware of how the unit thing works, how would you translate that into drinks? I mean, it's not
2: half as complicated as people claim to find it is. But, you know, basically a unit is half a pint of weakish beer or a very small glass of wine or a shot of spirits, right? That would be, you know, it's one unit. So, you know, I, four or five, early evenings a week, I meet my mate and my, the pub local I have a couple of pints and then get on with the rest of the evening. Sometimes we stay a bit longer and have a bit of wine. Now, that gets you to sort of 25 units yeah. in a week quite quickly. But on top of that, a day out at the football, a couple of proper nights out, and maybe a bottle of wine with Sunday lunch, you very quickly get towards 100 units. Now you know, because you're drinking every day. Yeah. In essence, what I worked out that if I lined up all the drinks I've drunk in my life, in like 40 years drinking since I was 15, it'd be three miles long. (laughs) Bloody And, you know, that's a lot of poison to put through your system. But what I came to thinking was, if I look at how many of those drinks I really wanted, needed, or enjoyed, or got anything out of, it's about a third. Yeah. You know, two-thirds, just pointless drinking, just drinking because I was out, drinking because it's what I'd always done, drinking because I had a bottle of wine to finish, drinking because I was with this mate with whom I always drank or because the pubs weren't closing for another hour or or whatever. And I just stripped away the drinks. I wasn't really wanting, needing, or enjoying, and then just left with the ones that I did value. What I thought was really good, which I read in the
1: book, that was such a good point, was you say there's a lot of people that have a problem with how much they drink, but they're told your only option really is to stop drinking because that's yeah. what the kind of alcoholic would do, or that's the way, the only way to control drinking. And your kind of point is there is another way, which is to cut down yeah. and kind of mindfully,
2: moderately drink. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, this idea of alcoholism has got very deep roots, you know. And in fact, we're all on a continuum from, you know, heavy drinking to the sort of wake up in a skip kind of drinking. And my point, well it's because we've got that deep idea of it as a disease theory where you've either got this disease or you haven't, hmm. then partly because of that, you think the only cure for the disease is to stop completely. And a lot of people don't seek help for that reason because they think they're going to be told, no, you've yeah. got to stop completely. Now, for a lot of people, It is appropriate. You know, I wouldn't question anybody who stopped drinking completely. Fine, go for it. But for others, there's a lot to be said just for moderating and just realizing, you know, it's a really important fact that drinkers like me, you know, the serious drinkers, One of the big lies we tell ourselves is that everybody drinks like us, right? You ask a big drinker like me, what percentage of drinkers, not of the whole population, what percentage of drinkers drink 14 units or less, which is the recommended maximum for safe drinking? Most Mm. of them will say, oh, 1%, no percent. The fact is, it's 70%. Is it? It's 70%? Yeah, it's 70%, and even allowing for a vast margin of error, it's more than 50%. Yeah. Right. Most are drinking safely. Yeah. So we're the outliers. Yeah. Big drinkers. We're the outliers. And once I realised that, I just thought it's one less excuse to drink with impunity to sit there in the pub where it's easy to think everyone is drinking like that because other people will be. Yeah. Sit there and just say, "Well, everyone drinks like this." The fourteen units thing is a load of bollocks, <laughs> and they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. You know, so if you think the 14 units thing is bollocks, fair enough. But don't tell me that everybody drinks like us because they just don't.
0: It can it can creep up on you a bit, especially when you've got like young kids and stuff and you finally get them to bed and you yeah. go, oh, I'll have a glass of yeah. wine or crack open a few beers. Uh, and yeah. then because that's your routine every night, you could have three
2: or four beers every night before bed and not think anything of it. Oh, well, I just, I realised that, you know, I was drinking more with every decade that passed and then... I noticed some of my friends were drinking less now when i met some of my big sort of drinking friends from my teens and my twenties when i met up with them we'd go for a drink like we normally did but then when it came down to it i realized that's probably the only drink they had that week yeah (laughs) but i was drinking every day in between So, so you know i remember how this was and i had small kids is that there is that moment you've got them off to sleep, you've read the story, they're asleep. You go for the wine, you go for the beer, thinking like you know I've earned it, and you know, it's an obvious point, but it's habit forming, and that can soon. The more you do it, the more you need. And I mean, I used to, when I took mine out for a walk in the stroller or in the the thing where they hang off the front of you. I mean, I you know I used to go off one. I go down to the pub. Would you? With them stop you from? I I'd go down to the pub. I'd have a couple of early pints or a pint and then, you know, the locals, you know, old blokes or whatever would sort of coo at my daughter and the Polish barmaid would swing it around a bit and all the rest of it, you know. It was just that was part of my routine as well. Wow. A friend of mine's just had a baby and the only thing they can put off, off Spotify and that would pacify the baby was um, gentle pub chatter. There is such a thing on
0: Spotify. <laughs>
2: rather damning of them. So gentle pub <laughs> chat is what would put the baby what would put the baby off to the- school.
1: That might work for me. Yeah. Your daughter's a drinking age now so would you enjoy like I, I always think that's quite an interesting
2: Thing, would you go to the pub with your daughters? Is that how you'd socialize with them? I'm always angling for that. I said, let's go for a drink. But they're always kind of reluctant. I mean, they do drink, not to a, a massive extent, I don't think. You know, like we do have the odd drink and stuff, but, you know, they're not going to sit in a pub with me. I mean, it happen occasionally, but it's not their idea of fun, I don't think. <laughs> I think they'd just rather go for a <laughs> drive round. The one way they can guarantee you're not going to drink, get you to drive. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, just taking the younger one to university and then the older one started work, you know, in both cases, you know, I'm thinking, God, you know, alcohol is such a big part of it, you know. How do you get on if you don't drink going off to freshers week and all the rest of it? How do you get on if you don't start, you know, when you start your first proper job? How do you network and stuff if you're not drinking? Yeah. And I still don't know, and I think it's a real shame. I am writing the book about, you know, when I first started working at the BBC, I mean, the reason I got on is that my old boss, the late Paul Gibbs, took a shine to me. And he took a shine to me because he got to know me in the three weeks there was on work experience. And the reason he got to know me, because I went drinking with him in the evening. It wasn't that he was a massive drinker. It wasn't even that I was. But if I didn't drink, how would I have formed that relationship with him? Yeah. And so would you say, like...
1: Because in the book you say about how much you drank, but you didn't ever, like, feel drunk or you kind of
2: got that point where it wasn't legal. I was just too good at it. That was my problem. Didn't get hangovers really, didn't misbehave. You know, nobody around me, I mean, I get sagged off by all sorts of people for all sorts of different things, but nobody said, oh, he's a drunk, he drinks too much. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't really ever get drunk. You know, and I did stupid things, but, you know, I did stupid things without the benefit of drink as well as sort of with it. There's a former Tory MP, randomly, I played golf with at some charity day, and I told him what I was writing about. And he said, oh, yeah, I don't drink much. He said, I'm blessed with hangover. Yeah. And that's exactly the right way of looking at it. <laughs> because hangover is, you know, it's one reason to put the brakes on. It's God's way or nature's way of telling you, you know, yeah. slow down a bit here. If you don't suffer from that, you know
0: crack on on you go yeah I've massively stopped drinking just because I cannot deal with the mornings with the kids yeah. it's actually like you know completely impossible to get through the day but like you say if you're not getting hangover then it's, there's nothing to put yeah. you off is there no that, that's right when
1: your kids were tiny were you you're not good hangover are you Josh yeah because I'm the same as you Rob I cannot get up with kids at half six <laughs> having drunk the night before and not being a kind of Well, of self hate,
2: did that bypass Adrian Childs? No, I had a bit of that, but again, it was because I was not. And I suppose it wouldn't have been easier if I'd been drinking, but it was difficult anyway to get my sorry ass out of bed. And if I can avoid it, then you know I'd let my then wife do it. Although I think I did my fair share of getting up, although she would contest (laughs) that. But what I couldn't get my head round was that. At some level, subconsciously, when I had babies, I must have thought that somehow they didn't get up on weekends and bank holidays. They didn't wake up at six in the morning then. <laughs> That's what I found difficult to deal with. You know that During the week, I could get up because I had to get up anyway. But what do you mean? You wake up screaming at six on a Saturday and a Sunday as well. Yeah. And <laughs> when we're on holiday. Yeah, two weeks on holiday. What, what madness is this? And then you took a job where you had to get up at 4
1: a.m., Adrian Like you've got a job where you're getting up on daybreak At what what time are
2: you getting up then? Yeah why not They'd grown up by then Mercifully And daybreak was so bloody miserable I'd be more than happy to be at home with screaming babies Vomiting all over me (laughs) Yeah Yeah, you know holidays particularly I think are so hard when you've got young kids You need a different word for holiday When you've got young kids just a new place to experience your life. Yeah. You to go to bed at seven o'clock with them and just live on their time as best you can.
1: What age do you think holidays got good? Because I'm currently at a one and a five-year-old, and I'd say it's not the peak day <laughs> period
2: to enjoy holidays. No, it's not. I would say until... Well, I mean, it's about your youngest one. So I think you've, you've got five or six years yet, to be honest. Till the youngest <laughs> one are six, seven years old. Oh, my God. Five
1: or six years.
0: I'd say four or five. I'd say take one year off that to try and keep morale up, Josh. But at yeah. least a solid three to four years before it'll be fun again.
1: Oh, God. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Oh, God. It's It's as you say, it's the mix of wishing your life away yeah
2: and then being sad when it's gone. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. You know, so we take them off to the sun somewhere, and it's just, you know, I, I don't know why we do that, because I don't think the kids particularly enjoy it. Okay, no. you can go in the swimming pool day and night. You spend most of the time slathering factor 200 all over them, and then <laughs> it's hot at night and all the rest of it. I think, I don't know what you're better off with, just a, you know, a bracing beach holiday in the UK if you can afford it, I suppose. But the flights as well, oh, what a trauma they are. <laughs> Dear God. What was your worst flight? There was one, can we, can we go to Croatia, like from one Croatian, I mean, just she's younger one screamed all the way back, oh, all, despite being basically drugged at the other end. And then <laughs> literally the moment the wheels touched down at Heathrow we just completely out like a light yeah, and, and couldn't be raised or I, I am exceptionally understanding if there's a screaming baby oh you yeah know, i've obviously yeah uh, obviously been there you know it's hard
0: and adrian are you excited about the potential of grandchildren maybe a bit early for you now but in the coming years oh
2: yeah absolutely
0: i don't want to apply any
2: pressure but uh yes i like babies <laughs> in my life yes it's fresh as wheat get on with it <laughs> A 19 year old daughter. Yeah. Who knows? I might be as reluctant and start going to see West Brom home and away with great passion again to avoid it. But I I think I'll be a very useful grandparent.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I can see yeah, I could see that. Yeah. What was your favourite you think your favourite age, if you had to pick one? As someone looking back now, if I say picture your Daughters, what age do you kind of picture them?
2: I would say sort of any. I'd say when they were sort of yeah nine and six, something like that. I, mean, I just think little girls are a lot easier to parent than little boys. I think teenage girls are a not well not so much a nightmare. I just couldn't work out what was going on from one day to the next. It was just absolutely <laughs> bizarre. I gave yeah. up trying to understand it. And we boys, teenage boys, I mean. Little boys are a nightmare, running around, blowing bogies everywhere, <laughs> picking their asses, and God knows what else. They, you know, I think they're tricky, but I think as teenagers they're easier. If only because, look, you just lock them in their bedroom with a box of tissues when they're fourteen, and they'll, they'll reemerge when they're eighteen. You know, they, can, they can sort themselves. out think. I think they're more straightforward.
1: How would you describe parenting a teenage girl for two men that are, I've got one daughter. Rob's got two. Who are approaching it? How would you describe
2: what we're approaching now? I just think great, just confusion and bewilderment more than anything else. And you've just got to roll with that. and Say, look, I simply don't understand what the problem is here. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, there's you know there's physiological things going on, you know that we'll never understand. So there is that going on in the background. But I just think, often with girls, it's when the physical affection, you just sort of go, all the yeah. hugging and sitting on your lap and all the rest of it. That seems to sort of stop more or less overnight. Oh, no. Oh, God. Oh, you God. Know, I mean, the older one stopped being so physically affectionate when you're quite young. The younger one, Kept it going for a bit longer, but you know, neither of them particularly touchy feely. Now, and they were, you know, as, as kids, and, and that's really hard. And then, you know, you get to the point where you, you know, you've had a ding-dong about something, and there's been some rye about something. I'll tell you, I texted texting them exactly, oh, like you send a text about something. I mean, waiting to hear back. <laughs> oh, God. Josh is not gonna sleep tonight. You know I often do with them, I ring them, I say, just give me one minute. <laughs> I you voice have a little, have all right I'm not gonna keep you I'm not gonna bore you everything all right Great. okay thank you uh goodbye I don't want them to be looking at my phone seeing dad calling and thinking oh god I'll never get him off the phone I mean they might think like that but at least if they get the idea it's going to be brief yeah there'll be more in <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah brief but regular every eight minutes yeah. how does this make you feel about the future Rob? I mean it horrifies me to think that they won't want to give me. They don't want to give me a cuddle now, a little bit, but just that sort of. I think just them being so far away and you just not knowing what they're doing just feels so alien that they're just sort of plopped somewhere and just getting on with their life and you're not involved at all. I think this is going to affect me and you quite badly. This episode, I've loved it, Adrian. You've been brilliant, but you've really planted some worry bombs.
2: Well, I remember when when the oldest one was a baby. You know, I remember remember her waking up in bed. Yeah, you know, I was in bed and woke up at like four in the morning and then oh my god she's awake what's the problem then was quiet and then I thought oh my god she's died It's caught death and then I think she started screaming again it was fine then I thought hang on and it real there was a real moment when I was seized with panic I think hang on I am never going to yeah. sleep properly, you know, oh, you know God. How, how do I ever stop worrying about this? You know, the middle of the night is never a good time to worry because worry feeds off itself. But then people, yeah. what am I going to do when she's 19 and she's in Australia or something? <laughs> I remember saying to there was a wise old owl called Peter Allen used to present the breakfast show on Five Live, who had three kids. I remember I said this to him the following day and he said, to be honest, you're onto something there. Once you've had kids... <laughs> you'd yeah. never probably have a proper night's sleep sleep. for oh, fuck's sake oh god to a certain extent I, th- I think there's something in that there's certainly that thing you're only as happy as your least happy child and my god i have been oh, you know mine have been oh. genuinely happy <laughs> yeah but that puts a lot of pressure on the kid i find that saying doesn't it
0: yeah oh god it'll be all right though won't it oh fuck anyone want to go for a pint <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, Adrian, it's been an absolute joy to chat to you. Have your daughters
2: read the book? Um, I don't think so. they read bits of it, which some friend or other told them was funny. I don't know, they might have read it on the quiet, I know, we'll see. I mean, it'd be all part of, all part of the embarrassment of being my uh, daughter, I think. But uh, perhaps they'll pick up something <laughs> from it.
1: It's been a joy to talk to you, Adrian. Oh, I loved it, Adrian, thank you. Uh, the book is the Good Drinker. It's been so good. Thanks so much. All right, cheers, cheers. Uh, It's like you know, a vision of the future. Cheers, Adrian. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, so cheers, Adrian. Thanks cheers, so man. much. Take care. Adrian Child. Adrian Charles. The Adrian Charles has got so much more depth to him than you think when you just see him presenting something on TV. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Very
0: charismatic. There's a lot going on there, isn't there? Well, yeah. He's, he's lived a
1: life. Yeah. How are you feeling, Rob?
0: I'm all right. It is two a.m. and yeah. there was a point there when Adrian Charles was talking about how many units of alcohol he had. I was looking at the minibar guy and you might have to start drinking if this is going to go on for much longer because I <laughs> <laughs> I was loving it. But then when he started saying about like your kids being away and I was like, I, was, <laughs> oh, I got a, vis- a visions of me down in a bottle of red wine and buying his book to read tomorrow. <laughs> That was brilliant though. Thank you to Adrian. I've really
1: enjoyed Thank that. Thank you uh, to everyone for listening. We will see you Tuesday. Tuesday. See you Tuesday. Tuesday.
2: Bye. What a joy.
1: See you later. Bye bye Bye-bye, bye.